There is an ancient proverb of Solomon that says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now, why would it be that a whole city would rejoice when the righteous are prospering? And the answer has everything to do with what it means to be righteous. And in the context of joy, to be righteous is to be someone who is abandoned. Everything that this world has to offer to give you joy, because you have discovered it's not going to work. So you have taken yourself to the feet of Christ, and you are, have found in him the very source of joy. And if you have gone there, you have now become a wellspring of joy. Your cup is overflowing with joy. I, there's something, I don't know that I want to take this back that I have said in the past, but I've said, if you want joy, don't seek joy, seek God. And I think that is true, but I also think if you want joy, seek joy and never settle until all of the desires for joy in you are fulfilled. And if you do that, you will end up at the feet of Christ. So the righteous, when they prosper, the city rejoices means that there is enough righteous people who have found their joy all coming from God, and now that joy is spilling over in the city. If enough teachers are going to God as their source of joy, and those teachers have a seat at the table, they have positions of influence, then the whole school will rejoice. If a whole hospital has enough nurses that have found their source of joy in Christ, and that joy is spilling over, then a whole hospital will rejoice, even, even in the face of suffering and death. It's true for our homes. If there is a lack of joy in your home, you go running to the feet of God, and there you find the wellspring of joy in him, and then you have offering of joy that's spilling over you into your home. And when I talk of joy, I, I want to I say something uh, before we dig into our verses. Joy and happiness is so, sometimes, sometimes pitted against each other. And, and the Bible will use the word happy depending on the translation. Um, but let me say it this way. There's a type of joy that you can have while you are experiencing sorrow. In fact, it's the deepest kind of joy. There is no way you walk through this earth with your eyes open without sorrow. But I would even argue that the greater the sorrow you experienced, if you are going to the source of joy, actually you will have more joy because of the greater sorrow. Because you become more dependent on Christ to find that joy. And that's the kind of joy we're talking about today. And today we see that persecution comes against the early church. And when it comes against the early church, Christians are scattered. And the scattering of Christians scatters joy all over the land. And my goal today is for you to take the responsibility needed to bring joy to the places you are scattered off to. And I need to say something else before we read our verses. It's not the kind of joy that you're like, okay, the Bible commands me to be joyful, so I should be joyful, so let me plaster a smile on my face. This is not a fabricated kind of joy. 
This is the kind of joy where you're just letting yourself be seen, like you're free. And you're saying, world, this is who I am. And this is the fount of joy that I have in Christ. And you're just letting yourself shine brightly with the joy that you have because you've encountered the beauty of Christ and his beauty is reflecting off of you to the world. So, joy from scattering. Let me read our verses. It's in Acts 8, verses 1 through 8. And Saul approved of his execution. This is speaking about Stephen, who's just been killed for having the joy, this joyful news that he has found in Christ. He's spreading this news around, and then he is executed for it. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. First point, the scattering of joy. It was persecution that caused the scattering which led to the joy. Now, what incited the incident of the scattering? It was Stephen a man who is heroic and courageous for truth. And he's holding on to this truth, and as he holds on to the truth in his heart, this joyful news, he's, he's kind of raised up as a leader, and he's caring for the poor and needy around him. And as he's doing this, some, some opponents of him come forth and start debating him. And the debate reaches ears of this group of people called the Sanhedrin. They're the religious elite of the day, and Stephen is brought to trial. And in the trial, he has these visions of the glory of God, and he gets great joy from it. And they're so angry about what he claims to be seeing that they send him outside the city gates, and they stone him to death. And on that very day when he is murdered, a persecution arises at the hands of Saul. And it says Saul was ravaging the church. And the Greek word for ravage, this has to do with, like, there is a vile anger that Saul has for every Christian. He wants to bring a brutal and sadistic cruelty against them. And he's pursuing them like an angry, snarling wolf. And he chases them all the way into their homes. And he finds men and women and has them arrested. It's very rare for women to be arrested in this day. So he's finding all of them. And then we see later on that Saul's beginning to kill Christians. So men, women, families, children are all scattered out of the city of Jerusalem to the surrounding area of Judea and Samaria. When persecution comes, a movement is birthed. Something similar is happening in China today. 
there's an underground church movement that's happening. And if I still have my information right, the South Korean Christians believe that this movement is going to keep growing. And the South Koreans are saying, we're doing work that one day we think the the Chinese church is going to finish. They think a movement is birthed because of the persecution that's coming against this underground movement in China. Winds of persecution... Winds of persecution blow the embers of Christian joy into a flame. Persecution scatters the seeds. When Christians were martyred in the early church, sometimes they were brought to a coliseum and they were fed to lions. And this leader, Tertullian, he comes forward and he addresses those who are persecuting the Christians. And he says, kill us, condemn us grind us to the dust, mow us down, and we will grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. Essentially what this means is the more you persecute Christians, the more movement is stirred up. Do your worst to us, and it just grows the movement. It's like there's something about Christianity that there's like at the founding, it's like there was suffering that brought joy. It's like there was a cross that led to resurrection. And so when you take a Christian and you persecute them, it's like you're bringing the cross to them. But when you bring the cross on the other side of it comes the resurrection. That, so, so what is it in Christians that causes a movement of joy to, to go out when they are scattered? Like, what is inside of a Christian? And the answer is the gospel. That's our second point, the news of joy. The Greek word, it, it, in verse 4, it talks about the, they, preached the, they preached. Now, the, the Greek word for preach is euangelion. And, and I'm not trying to, like, show off that I know Greek words. What I want you to see is that this word means good or joyful newsing. It's not somebody, preaching is not someone standing up on a stage, though it can be, but primarily in the early church, it was words that were being spread from mouth to mouth, person to person, home to home. That's good newsing. And the word gospel literally translates as joyful news. If you're hearing news about Christianity, and it does not sound like the greatest news that you have ever heard, you are misunderstanding that news. And let me be clear, it is news. It's not advice. Advice is about something that you must do, something you must accomplish. News is about something that has been done to you, and you're being rescued. News... Advice is about the wagging of a finger, but news is to see a man in a far off country who is running towards a city with a smile on his face because he's about to bring good news to that city. All other religions, look at them, investigate them. All of them offer advice and not news. They offer you advice for how to deal with sin. They offer you advice for how to deal with the grave. They offer, no other religion, though, has an empty tomb. Only in Christianity 
Do we have, you know, so, so here's the problem with, with, with what other religions throw upon us. They're trying to help us escape the tomb, right? Do good enough and you'll break out. The problem is that no one is holy enough to face death and break it open. The, the, the prison is shut. The gate is closed. But only one in Christianity do we see comes who's holy enough to take on death, break death open so that now we can simply pass through into the paradise that we so long for. That's news. It's not advice. And it's not just news that you have been rescued from something. It's news that you have been, you have, the process has come for you to start your change, the the metamorphosis. In other words, the Christian is becoming beautiful. The Christian is becoming holy. The Christian is becoming glorious and eternal. Now the process begins today. And it's not just that you're changing. It's not that you're becoming more of who you're meant to be, but you're all, so, so you're not just rescued from something. You're not just becoming more of something, but you are being rescued into something. Our world will ravage you. I'll prove it to you. You have deep and desperate longings deep in your heart, and you don't know what will fix it. You know what those longings are doing? They're like a compass telling you, something's wrong here. You're made for another world. Keep searching. And that world is what's been opened up to you, where where one day we will enter in. There will be no hurt, death, or pain. Joy will be eternal. Peace will be never-ending. It will be everything that you've dreamed of and more. Like your mind and your heart do not have the capacity for what is to come. It's news, not advice. And also, I just want to hammer this home. It's a gift. It's not earned. Salvation is 100% a free gift. If we, have, if we had read, early, read beyond our verses, we would have seen a man named Simon. Simon comes on the scene, and he wants to purchase the power that comes from Christianity. And Peter says, Simon, you're twisted. You need to repent, meaning you need to turn back. You're, you have a twisted understanding of what the gospel is. You don't understand that this is news. It's not something that can be bought It's not something that can be earned, and you can't do enough good stuff. You can't even do enough good stuff so that God will smile on you and say, hey, that guy over there, somebody go tell the good news to him. It's nothing to do with that. It's all a free, precious gift that you have not earned. It's just been given. You did nothing to have it. And it's not, I'll tell you this, it's not by trying harder. One of the common problems I think we have in our misunderstanding of Christianity is we think, if, yes, I mess up. But if God knows that I'm trying hard, he's going to forgive me. If God knows I'm trying hard, he's going to be gracious to me. If God knows I'm trying hard, he's going to send somebody to come and tell me this good news. And I'm going to tell you, trying hard leads to hell. Trying hard leads to hell. Heaven and transformation is a gift received, not earned. And if you try, here's what happens. Here's why it leads to hell. 
If you try, you're relying on your goodness. If you receive the gift, you're relying on Christ's goodness. So which one do you want to rely on? Christ or yours? And you have to pick one. Everything. And it's not even the quality of your faith. It's the quality of the one that you have faith in. This changes the game. Like, I know what you're doing. You're comparing yourself to other people, and you're saying, if I could just have a little bit more faith. And maybe what you should try doing is saying, maybe I should look at Christ and stop obsessing so much about my own faith or my lack of it. And maybe I should just look at him with wonder and awe and be swept up into his glory and majesty. And then guess what? You're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're not thinking about how good your faith is or how bad your faith is. You're thinking about how amazing Christ is. And that will always be enough. And anything less than that will make you feel like you are not enough. And if you ever meet someone in a church that's looking down on people, they very well may not be a Christian. Because if Christianity is 100% a gift that you cannot earn, then how can you look down on somebody? You have done nothing to receive this free gift of salvation. God's not looking at you like, there's my champion, that one fighting. He's looking at you like like in, in the muck, in the mire, and you can't get out, and he's saving you out of his love and out of his grace and his mercy. And when you're lifted up out of the muck and the mire, if you're looking down on someone, then it's, it's like you forgot what you've been saved from. In fact... Those who've been saved from the muck and the mire, they're, they've been brought, they've been humbled. And people down here, do you know what they do? They put their feet, their hands underneath people's feet and they lift them up. That's the mark of a Christian. Humility that lifts others up. It's exactly what Christ did. He came down to lift us up. And, and I'm telling you this too. If you read a command in the Bible and you say, ah, oh, be joyful, it says. All right, let me try harder to be joyful. You've missed it. Maybe you became a Christian by faith, and you're trying to grow by trying harder. You're missing it. Absolutely every single part of Christianity is about utter dependence on Christ and Christ alone. He's your king, your savior, your rescuer. He, he's the one who does it. And if you find yourself giving advice to somebody, please do not claim that you have given them Christianity. You have not. You've given them something else. And maybe they needed to hear what you had to say, but don't say it was Christianity because Christianity is primarily at its heart news. So now, who are the types of people that bring this good news? Like, are you those people? Do you have the joy in you that's bringing this good news? Because... People who give advice, the Christian understands that people who give advice are simply giving, they're creating. Advice creates joyless, duty-bound slaves. Advice will give joyless, duty-bound slaves. But the news of Christianity sets you free. And then the Christian begins to take seriously the responsibility of spreading joy. But let me be careful here. 
Because I'm not talking about plastering a smile on your face even though inside you feel no joy. I'm talking about if you're not experiencing joy, you've got to go get connected to God. And when you do, there'll be real joy in you. Not the kind that's plastered on your face, but the deep eternal joy, the wellspring that you have now to offer the people around you. And our verses say the job of every Christian, you read through the Bible, it says it as well, the job of every Christian is to take this joyful news and let it be known. Not not in a way that is like, oh, I'm earning something here, but just in a way where you're like free. Like this is who I am. See me, here's the light that's shining of Christ off of me. And I'll prove it to you. Every Christian is called this. Our verses say the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles didn't cause this movement. They stayed in Jerusalem. It was normal, everyday, ordinary Christians who were, who, who were scattered that brought this movement of joy. Yes, in verse 5, we see Philip is a leader and he's causing joy. But verse 4 is all about everyday, ordinary Christians who take no leadership role in the church, who have been scattered out. And this is a problem if this is the calling of every Christian, because there was just a Barna study that was, that was recently released that said 47% of millennial Christians who are taking their faith seriously, 47% feel that it's wrong to share this joyful news with people of other faiths. 47% of, essentially what that means is everybody that's my age or younger feel that it's, half of us feel that it's wrong to share our faith. And I know oh, you guys that are older than me, you're like, yeah, get those millennials. I just want to make a note for all of you who are older. You put carpet over hardwood flooring, and that was, that was weird. All right, so now I've humbled all of us. So, so listen, if, if, those numbers don't change. If that's true for us as a church, then the movement is dead before it begins. Because at, at the essence of Christianity, it's news that has spread not by people like me from a stage, but people that are scattered out. Everyday Christians. It fails if it's up to me. The, the early church... If you look at it, it empowered everybody. Because everybody seemed to understand that the news that they carry in their mouth and in their heart is the most transforming information that anybody could have. It's the kind of news that takes on the greatest plague humanity has ever known, sin and death, and frees us from it, but doesn't just leave us there, transforms us into what we one day should become, and then raptures us out of this world and brings us into another world that we're made for. That's powerful news, and every single Christian has it in their heart and in their mind and on their lips. That's power. So if you look at the early church, the job of Peter and John and the apostles was for the, the news to be right, especially the early church. I mean, everything was about getting the news right. That was where their authority was. And then they took that authority and they gave it to everyone and said, go. There's a, there's a book called The Starfish and the Spider. It's an organizational leadership book, and here's what it argues. If you take a spider and you cut off its head, it dies. But if you take a starfish and you cut off its arm, another one grows back, and sometimes it multiplies into two starfish. 
And the book is, is looking at organizations and movements. And what it says is if there's too much power at the top and you cut off the head of the leader, the organization will die. But in a movement, all the power is dispersed among everybody. And if the power is dispersed, you cut off an arm, at, that's like the worst you can do. And then another arm grows back and then sometimes it becomes two. And this, this is the mark of Christianity in the way that it functions is all the power is, is, is flat. And so you do something to it and then it multiplies. Now, I'm not saying, and the book actually argues for, for both like a leadership level but a movement level. And Christianity has like the perfect combination of the two. Because like I said earlier, you have Peter, John, and the apostles. And their authority is in the teaching. Like The Bible keeps saying the apostles teaching, the apostles teaching, the apostles teaching. That's what the authority is, and it's all found and wrapped up in that teaching. And the apostles are making sure that the the teaching is right, and then everybody runs out. And I'll be done about the book after this. So the book argues that everything is about shared values or beliefs. And if the values and beliefs are shared, and there's high trust and empowerment, then you have the making of a movement. And that's exactly what we see in the early church. And, and by the way, you think about Christ on the cross. Christ did not come to claim power. He had all power. He came to give power away. On the cross, he's crucified, dead, buried, and he rises in the resurrection. He, he dishes out his Holy Spirit to us. And now by doing this, that same power that rose from the grave is dwelling within us. So he died to give power away. And then in Christianity, we do have a leader, a head, a captain, and a king. And he was killed. But upon his death, he rises. And what that means is do your worst to Christ, the world is saved. Do your worst to a Christian, and the movement flourishes. That's the pattern. When we started the Grove six years ago, you know, I was young and idealistic, and now I have some gray here, and I'm 40 now. And what I, here's what I've learned. Um, don't be idealistic, and uh, just let God do the work. When we first started, I was thinking, we're going to be like this Acts church, and it's going to happen. Like It's going to be amazing, and it's going to be a movement. And God humbled me a lot, and it was really fun and really painful. And what, what I found is that I spent most of my time shepherding and doing pastoral care. And I grew to love it. And so I was preaching and doing pastoral care. And we've entered into this season now where we have our discipleship groups and we have some amazing leaders. And now there's a lot of care that's being done in the discipleship groups. And now I'm getting to spend some more time equipping. And the next phase that we're going to enter into is my hope and my prayer this year, the end of next year, is that we're going to start seeing Sunday morning as our gathering. And then Monday through Saturday as the church scattered into the city to bring joy into the city. Not because you have a project of joy, but because you have joyful news and you're just letting yourself shine wherever it is that you go. And it's, you know that feeling. Like as soon as you're forcing something, it feels a little uncomfortable and you're like, well, is this me 
Is this my fear or is this awkward? And you don't really know. And the solution to that is to just be content in Christ and be free and just let yourself be seen. And then you'll bring joy. And so here's how you do it. How do you go out Monday through Saturday? Well, Philip is our answer. Philip, when he's scattered out, he goes to Samaria. Samaria is a group of what the Jewish people would call half-breeds. They're a bit of outcasts. They're spiritual, but, they're, but the Jewish people would see them as, as messed up and twisted a little bit. But they're curious. They're longing for the things that, uh, of the Old Testament. And so Philip goes to them, outsiders, and then look what happens. Demons begin to shriek, and the cripples are healed. So Monday through Saturday, you're just going to be hearing demons shriek and cripples be healed. Probably not. But you have to understand the heart of what's happening here. The demons shrieking, this is about something that's spiritual. The the cripples being healed is about something that's physical. And so people of joy go out and they see needs and they act to meet needs, physical needs, because they are overflowing with joy and they have something to offer. They have time, they have energy. They're not like turned in on themselves, but they're turned outward. And and if you look at the overarching view of the Bible, it's concerned with physical, emotional, social, and cultural needs as well. And so what happens is we go out into the city and we start doing good work with news of joy that's on our lips, ready to be spoken at just the right time. And if you don't know what the right time is, that's okay. You'll start trying things and figure it out along the way. That's how a movement of joy takes root. Now, as you go, I want you to see what the pattern of joy is. So you're scattered out Monday through Saturday. What's the pattern? You might not want to hear it, but I think it's good. I think it's right. The pattern is that trials, difficulty, pain, suffering, loss, and persecution brings more joy for you and more joy for the people around you. And it really makes sense if you understand where joy comes from. Because there's something about us humans where we don't go to God like we ought. Like like even the early church was told, Jesus says, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But they didn't move. So persecution came and they finally obeyed what God told them to do because they were driven out. So what? here's what happens. When you experience trials and pain and suffering in your life and you're dependent on God, the greater the sorrow, the greater the suffering, the more you're clinging to Christ. And if you're clinging to Christ, who is the source of joy, then you have joy that is overwhelming the sorrow and the suffering and the pain and the loss you're experiencing. You know when you meet somebody who's of some substance, they've been through something in their life. And if they have Christ as the source of joy, they can face sorrow and suffering and loss in a way that you've never seen before. Because they have a joy that keeps overwhelming the pain that this world throws at us. So the pattern is you depend on Christ more. And this is the the great thing about obedience to God. God keeps telling us to do stuff that is beyond us. 
And by, by trying, uh, I gotta be careful about trying, by depending on God more, we then have the joy that he's offering us, the peace that he's offering us, the strength that he's offering us. So if you'll be courageous enough to obey, you're going to depend on him more. And then you'll have more joy, more peace, more strength. And what I want you to see in all this is that you are far more valuable to the Christian movement than you realize. Because within you is news that raises people from the dead. In you is news that brings heaven to earth. In you is news that changes everything. And if you'll just realize that, it's not going to be so scary for you to be scattered out into the world. It's not going to be so scary. Well, maybe it is scary, but you've got a courage that overwhelms your fear. I think that's right. I think that's right. And then what happens is, Wherever you're scattered off to, maybe it's your workplace, and maybe you're the one who knows of this joyful news. But you, being the one who knows the joy, will bring joy to the many. And that's the pattern. The one who brings joy to the many, and that's the pattern because that's what happens with Christ. He's the king, the captain of joy. And he's come here. And he, the one, has been crucified, dead, and buried to bring joy to the earth. He, the one, was driven and persecuted right up to the cross and nailed to it. And then he was the seed that was buried into the earth. And then he was driven far in the deep reaches of hell. And there he sparked life. He dug his roots in and then he catapulted himself up out of death and he rises up as the joy spring of all life and then his fruit drops to the earth we eat that fruit and the seeds are in us and now we are becoming more alive with joy and then the next thing you know over time a whole grove of joy has covered the city this is how a movement begins It just starts with just being overwhelmed with the goodness and the mercy of Christ. Starts there. If you're having problems with any of the callings of God, just go and enjoy Christ. Everything else will take care of itself. Enjoy him. And then you'll be more important to the movement than you realize. Let's pray. God, you have called us to much, but you have so much to offer us, so much strength and joy and mercy and grace and peace and courage that's all found in you. So we depend on you now to be people that you've called us to be. And we don't want to be people who are plastering smiles on our face, forcing something that's not true of us, but we want to be authentically joyful people. So teach us to come and drink from you, our wellspring of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper. And what we have here is a display of news that brings joy. 
St. Augustine says that this, the sacraments, are the visible words of the gospel, the joyful news. Now, if these are the visible words of the gospel, what that means is we see the good news on display for us right here. Let me move that cup so you can see it. All of this is everything here that brings joyful news to a city. Because it's here that you encounter what Christ has done for you. So as we do this, you can come forward. Um, I just want you to know this. Every step that you take is a step where you're saying, I believe that this story is true. I believe that this good news is true. And it's mine and I'm claiming it as mine. It's for me. He's died for me. He's rose for me. And I'm going to enjoy him. This, is, this table is for the hungry and thirsty. This table is for those who know that they need everything offered here. A grace that's offered. They, this table is for those who know they don't deserve a seat, but Christ has bought them a seat. So they run up. With joy, feasting, with joy, with their friends, nourished, strengthened with joy. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, and before I do, the little baggies here, these are gluten-free ones. Um, otherwise, you just take a cup and you can go back. We're going to have a whole song that we're singing while all this is happening. So you don't all need to rush up. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you send your spirit to us now so that we might see, behold, and understand that this is what you have done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.